I'm J.P. Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hello, my name is JP Tuesday. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Happy birthday, Tuesday! Happy birthday to me. Yes, today, uh, July 5th, is my birthday as this episode is going out. Uh, I've officially reached old, I believe. It's time to report. He is turning 40. And so I'm singing this song just for him. Yes, you little shorty. He's turning 40. And he got to decide we would watch Princess Bride. So sit back and enjoy the show. Yay! So yeah, since it is my birthday and all those fireworks in the sky that you've been seeing, they're all for me. Yes, yes, I'm convinced of that. They're all for me. It's my birthday, so we're going to watch one of my favorite movies of all time, The Princess Bride. This is one of the greatest films ever made. I don't care what you say. As they say in the movie, fencing, fighting, torture, revenge, giants, monsters, chases, escapes, true love, miracles. What more do you want in a movie? Yeah, this this really is the, the movie that has it all. Um, no matter what you're into, this is the movie that gives it to you. And this was probably one of the first that I can rem- that I can think of that ha- that spoofed the fantasy genre. Yeah, because we had we had comedy spoofs before. You know, they spoofed the the classic horror movie. Mel Brooks would do that, and we had Airplane, and, and I don't know if Naked Gun was around this time, spoofing police movies, but we never had a spoof of a fantasy movie, and I guess. The viewing pub- public didn't really understand that because this movie did not do well when it was released in 1987. But it made a killing on home video. And it is that home video popularity that made this movie such a beloved classic. And it's now officially a Disney movie because this is a Fox film and Disney bought Fox. Yep, so now the Princess Bride is a Disney princess. Yeah, so. I was going to say, does, 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 make, does this make Buttercup a Disney princess? Do we need to bring back that question from earlier this year? <laughs> um, no, uh, because uh, as we'll get into in the movie, I'm not sure Buttercup has enough agency to be a Disney princess. So, this movie was based on a book... By the very writer of this movie, William Goldman. William Goldman, legendary screenwriter. If you don't know him, look him up. And he decided to write a fantasy novel. <laughs> but the, it was a weird gimmick that he put in that fantasy novel. The, uh, the name S. Morgenstern. Uh, he does not exist. And was just a pseudonym that, uh, that Goldman used. So the story of the book is that William Goldman was read this book, The Princess Bride by S. Morgenstern as a child, loved it so much, and he wanted to share it with his own son, 
who threw it back at him telling him that it was boring. So Goldman actually read the book and realized, oh, this book really is boring. And cut out all the boring parts, so if you actually get a copy of The Princess Bride by William Goldman, it actually does say just the good parts. <laughs> it is a story within a story. Kind of like a Shakespeare play within a play kind of deal. So in the book within a book, S. Morgenstern is the most famous author from the country of Florin. And he wrote this story based off Florin history. So I guess within the book, within the book, all of this stuff actually happened. And was a fundamental part of their society. Okay. <laughs> Sure. So they replaced the book within the book with the framing device what we have in the movie of the boy, the grandson and the grandfather. So you kind of do get the story within a story kind of deal. Just not the way that the book presents it. So yeah, so Goldman turned this book into a screenplay, shopped it around to many studios, eventually ending up at 20th Century Fox where it became kind of legend as the greatest screenplay never filmed at the studio. And many people tried. No one could really make this happen. Enter Rob Reiner. And he made this movie happen. He, lo he read the script. He loved it. And he was going to make this movie happen. Rob Reiner, one of the greatest directors ever, honestly. Kind of given where he started you know with with all in the family and and stuff uh it's kind of interesting that uh he ended up so talented behind the camera so a lot like ron howard you know you you started out as a as a sitcom actor and then you go become just a really incredible uh film director uh but yeah that is that is rob reiner I mean, honestly, just going through his credentials, Spinal Tap, Stand By Me, we talked about last week, Misery. Yeah. Can go on and on and on. So let's kind of get into our cast, which is literally a who's who of people. We're How do you talk about any of these people? These are all legends. Yeah, and I'm not gonna. <laughs> um, normally I would go through these people and, and kind of talk about their careers and how they ended up here. Every single person in this cast is a stone cold legend and, um, I'm not going to bother. It, it kind of seems, uh, pointless this week to, to talk about them. Um, if you want to go through it, uh, hit up Wikipedia your, yourself because it's just, it seems bizarre. Um, one thing I do love that this movie does, um, that other, another movie did in terms of calling back to this one would be, uh, Fred Savage in the PG-13 cut of Deadpool 2. What, what the f- Easy now, hey. The only F-bomb we're using around here is Fred Savage. You're in a PG-13 version of Deadpool 2, which means we only get two one and a glass of white wine. Are you bleeping yourself? You bet your voice and little I am. Did you reconstruct the bedroom set from the Princess Bride? Inconceivable! Oh, God. Yeah, I always wanted to say that. 
felt real good. Yeah, I did like that they did that where they had the adult Fritz Savage in the bed. <laughs> We're in the same uh, Bears jersey as in this movie. They they decorated the set to look exactly like the 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 kids set the the kids room set in this film. And uh, instead of you know Peter Falk, you have uh, I assume Ryan Reynolds in the Deadpool costume, but he never takes the mask off, so you never know. Yeah, um, and. Uh, there have been a lot of parody scenes of that framing device, mm -hmm. including kind of uh, Carl Reiner's final performance. Uh, before his death, Carl Reiner and Rob Reiner uh, parodied that that scene with Rob Reiner as uh, the kid in the bed. Now I think you ought to go to sleep. Okay. Okay, okay. All right. So long. Grandpa? Can you come over tomorrow and read it again? As you wish. And uh, that ended up being Carl Reiner's final performance before his death. Um. Yeah that little that little bit so uh, very very meaningful and very beautiful um, and of course quite a number of Disney legends in this movie Chris Anderson who Disney fans will know as the voice of Jack Skellington Wallace yeah. Shawn the ultimate hey it's that guy the last time we talked about him was a goofy movie but uh, look his career up Wallace yeah. Shawn is amazing and of course Billy Crystal who uh, is coming back to Disney to play Mike Wazowski in the new Monsters at Work series. Yeah. Um, and uh, I believe we've talked about Carol Kane before on the podcast. Yeah. Um, and Carrie always keeps popping up in, in various things. Um, so, and you the, know. Yeah, and the first feature film role for Robin Wright. Yeah, this was... She had done television... Uh, before this, but this was her introduction to a broader audience and her introduction to film. So, um, and, uh, you know, now she's still doing things. Um, just recently was uh, in the Wonder Woman series as one of the Amazonian generals. So From a princess to an Amazon. Yeah. So... So let's kind of get into the movie in general. So we have, let's talk about the framing device, first off. So we have Fred Savage as the grandson who does not have a name. Uh, as a Chicago boy myself, I love the Chicago imagery of the kid. He's wearing the Chicago Bears jersey. He's got the Chicago Cubs banner. He's got the William Refrigerator Perry poster. If, if you didn't need to know this kid is from Chicago. <laughs> he he's also seems to be a bit of a geek because he's got a lot of Star Wars stuff there. He's got a, a Empire Strikes Back glass with a crazy straw in it. I see some He-Man action figures. So I see some Marvel action figures. So yeah, there's a Captain America action figure behind his head. Typical 80s kid's bedroom. Boy. Very oh, boy. boy. Yeah. Boy. <laughs> uh, a little hanging thing of Santa Claus, so I assume that this is supposed to be around Christmas time? Yeah. 
Um, and there's also some some Christmassy thing hanging behind his bed as well. Mm-hmm. So is this a Christmas movie? Or are we doing Christmas in July? Sure, why not? <laughs> they never mention it, but hey, I'm just uh, I'm just uh, weird to see the fact that there is He Man on Disney Plus, and He Man's about to show up on Netflix. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it'll be on Disney Plus before long. That's the next acquisition, sure. <laughs> sure. Um, you know he's he's sick in some way. I don't think we're ever really told. No, he just is sick. He's sick and stuck in bed and depressed about it because he can't. And playing, hang out. And playing his Atari. (laughs) Yeah, playing his Atari. The uh, I still have a working one of those in my house. Yeah, I'm that kind of nerd. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but uh. You know, grandfather comes over to read read him a story because it's a book. It's what TV was when I was a kid. Okay, boomer. Yeah. Um. The people the, still read books. <laughs> yeah. the uh, The funny thing is, is watching this. I was thinking like of a kid watching it today and being like, "What's a TV?" <laughs> yeah. What's he doing with the thing? I just played the games on my tablet. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the wording that the grandfather uses is, I read this to my son, uh, your father when he was young, and I'm going to read it to you. Is this implying that the dad isn't around? I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of just hoping the dad's at work. Because we see the mom, but we don't see the dad. I'm really just hoping the dad is at work. There is one thing that is not referenced in the film that I actually had to look up. So we have Prince Humperdinck's plan here. Humperdinck, the Prince of Florin, wants to get his bride-to-be buttercup kidnapped, murdered, and then frame the murder on the neighboring kingdom of Gilder. Why does Florin hate Gilder? It's never explained in this movie, but it's explained in the book. So, apparently, Humperdinck was once betrothed to the Princess of Gilder. But upon meeting each other, um, Humperdinck was horrified to find out that the princess was bald. (laughs) Claiming that uh, he wasn't going to marry an ugly princess, that looks were all that matter, and uh, swore vengeance on the entire country of Gilder. This is why he wants to go to war with Gilder. Wow. What a Richard. Yes, quite the Richard. And he becomes an even bigger Richard as the movie goes on. It fits the character, honestly. Yeah, it does. Honestly, though, the thing that I started wondering watching this one is, um, do we think that Humperdinck and Rugen have something going on? Possibly. Because honestly, they strike me as a bit of an old married couple. Maybe. The the scene where they're standing uh, at the tree that leads to the pit of despair. And they're talking to each other. And Rugen's like, oh, come, come down and see me torture a dude. And 
And Humperdinck's like, oh, I would, but you know, I've got a wedding to plan and a wife to kill and an entire country to free. I'm just swamped, darling. You know, like, you know how much I love to watch you work, but it's just, <laughs> I mean, they really just do, do seem like a caring older couple, you know, it just, they seem like they've been together for a while. That's probably also the reason they go to war. That way they can hide their love. People have gone to war for worse things. Yeah. And it and it would go along with the story that you just told about that he only really wants a trophy wife. Mm-hmm. You know, he, does, he doesn't really care about the actual woman. He just wants a, a pretty thing because he doesn't really care about her as a partner or, you know. So Buttercup's a beard. Yeah. I buy it. Yeah. So, speaking of Buttercup, let's talk about Buttercup grew up on the farm with the farm boy, Wesley. And uh, as uh, as Grandpa here says, her favorite activity is teasing the farm boy, making the farm boy do things. Which kind of goes into your spoiled princess type of mentality, although they do... Uh, steer it into a proper direction when she finds out she does, in fact, have feelings for him. Well, also, here's the thing that I always wanted to know about Buttercup. Where are her parents? Uh, in the book, yes, but in this movie, it's just her. We don't see any parents. So she she does actually have a family in the book. Yes. She doesn't own the farm herself, because in the movie, it makes it look like she is a woman who owns a farm. Wesley works for her. They are the only two people for miles around. But she does, you know, it's 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 the fact that she takes enjoyment of taking advantage that he's the hired help. That got me in that opening part. Yeah, um... She starts out as not the most likable character. Mm. Um... She grows a little bit over the story, but uh, at this point in the story, she's not the most likable character. And then it's like, oh, she realized she loved him, and then she's slightly more likable. Like, she still just kind of is like, bring me this and fetch me that, but it's a little less sharp. And then it's got the thing of like, well, I have to go far away to make some money so that we can marry. And then he gets kidnapped by pirates. And I love Fred Savage's little line there. Murdered by pirates is good. Yeah. This story uh, is boring, but murdered by pirates is good. But it it is a very slow beginning of this story. Honestly, kind of I think this this opening part goes really fast. It's within five minutes that we're introduced to these characters, they fall in love, and then Wesley's gone. And she's engaged to the prince. Five years later, she's engaged to the prince, but she doesn't love the prince. She had made the promise that she will never love another after Wesley. Uh, and she's but kept that promise. I mean, uh, according to what she says later... Prince Humperdinck is very clear on the fact that she does not love him. Mm -hmm. So it seems like he came to her and was like, marry me, my darling. And she's like, 
well, I will marry you. I mean, if you just want somebody to look pretty and have a child for you, I'll do that, but I will not love you. And he was like, yeah, that that sounds fine. That's exactly what I want. Yeah, but very quickly, very quickly, we are... Again, this whole opening thing goes fast, fast, fast. We're not even ten minutes into this movie. We inter- we're introduced to Buttercup. Uh, we're introduced to Buttercup. We're in- introduced to Wesley. They fall in love. Wesley is is presumed dead at sea, engaged to Pumperdink, kidnapped by our our trio here. The legendary Andre the Giant in this movie. As this a, as was a, almost Arnold Schwarzenegger. I was going to mention that. Uh, Andre the Giant was at his peak of professional wrestling at the time uh, in that legendary feud with Hulk Hogan, so he could not uh, take the time off to to do the film. They were going to go with the then uh, up-and-coming actor Arnold Schwarzenegger, and then the film got delayed, then Predator happened, and Arnold Schwarzenegger became unavailable. But luckily, Andre was, uh, he was done with his feud with Hogan, so he was able to uh, have the time off from, from WWE and uh, to do the movie. But at that point, uh, uh, legendary, uh, unfortunately, uh, the injuries have caught up to Andre. He already had his many, many back problems at that point in his, in his career. So a lot of the, a lot of the strength that you see uh, he, 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 he shows in the movie is with the help of pulleys and blocks and him lay, uh, leaning on walls and stunt doubles and stuff. It's, it's really kind of interesting because um, Andre wasn't an actor. You know, he really was just a, a wrestler uh, at the time. But, but you do need a certain level of acting prowess to do those those promos in wrestling oh well yeah all act all all wrestlers are actors but he wasn't known as an actor and um Mm -mm. what we know about wrestling now was not known about wrestling then it was real then (laughs) um yeah it was it was uh the the veil had not come down uh really on on professional wrestling in the way it has now uh, it it was kind of uh, a really interesting uh, thing to see Andre on camera in a film. And uh, I believe he was yeah. still a bad guy in, in in WWE at the time. Yeah, I think he I think he might have been working as a heel at that point. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so he, this was right after since it was, yeah it was right after the feud with Hogan. So he was still he was still very much a heel. But he was supposed to go to Japan for a really lucrative uh, deal, like millions. And something happened and that fell through. And because the film had been delayed and that match got canceled for some reason, it just worked out and it was this wonderful kismet thing but uh apparently andre absolutely loved being an actor because he said it was one of the first times in his life nobody ever treated him like a freak and he would end up having a very long friendship with billy crystal as a result of this movie also with uh 
not really a close friendship, but uh, Fred Savage was apparently a massive wrestling fan because he was of that age, you know, that mm -hmm. when you're a kid and you get into wrestling. And so even though he didn't have scenes with Andre, uh, Andre found out that a kid that was working on the movie was a huge wrestling fan. And he made a trip to the set where Fred Savage was working to surprise him. Um, and from that point on until Andre's death, he sent Fred Savage a Christmas card every year. Aww. Uh, so Buttercup actually does the first of two proactive things in this movie where, excuse me, where she takes advantage of uh, the Dread Pirate Robert's ship coming into them, and uh, the three kidnappers are distracted, and she just jumps in the water to swim out. That is one of two proactive things she does in this movie. Yeah, if I have any problem with this movie, it is how little Buttercup does in the film. She does two proactive things on her own volition, and one proactive thing because Wesley tells her to do. One is jumping off the boat, Smart move. The yeah. second is pushing the Dread Pirate Roberts because she believes that he killed Wesley when, in fact, he is Wesley. And again, from her perspective, that's her 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 lover's killer, so she's going to take him out. And the third is tying up Pumperding at the end of the movie, and she only does it because Wesley tells her to. Well, I may have sort of a fourth. When they're in the fire swamp and uh, the RUS's attack, when the RUS comes for her, um, directly attacks her, not just Wesley, she does pick up the tree limb and kind of pokes at it. Yeah, she doesn't really hit it. It's very not very hard. effective. <laughs> and it's only when it's directly coming after her and not when it's attacking, you know, the love of her life. When she has a better shot at actually injuring it. Mm -hmm. But she doesn't just stand there and let it eat her either. So it's it's like a half a point. Right. So it's like three yeah. and a half. Honestly, my favorite part of the whole movie is the the three fights that uh, that Wesley goes against where he's fighting the three kidnappers and besting them in their in their uh, their element as it were. I do have a question about this scene. Where did the rope come from? <laughs> yeah, it is a rather large rope. They come up to the the shore of the big cliff, the cliff of insanity. And there's just a rope there. Like, they didn't throw a grappling hook or anything up there. It's just, there's this rope that's just hanging down some kind of way from someone who was there before. Never explained. It's just a rope. I don't know. The, the question that I have is a bit bigger. How did uh, Wesley know about Buttercup's kidnapping? He's just right there able to catch the kidnappers within minutes an hour or two what we learn later in the movie is that the dread pirate roberts always comes to florin at that point time of year so he's been wesley has been there in some capacity for some reason but has not interacted with buttercup 
it's possible that he's kind of been keeping an eye on Buttercup at least once a year for the last five years. And then realize, oh, she's her schedule says she's here, but she's not here. Okay, something's wrong. Doesn't say anything. Doesn't say a lot of good things about Wesley. But in defense of Wesley, okay, when he tells the story of the Dread Pirate Roberts, each of them seemed to work for a period of about five years. Mm-hmm. Okay, she says, how can you be Dread Pirate Roberts? Dread Pirate Roberts has been going for about 20 years now. And he tells the story of roughly about three guys before him. He seems to be the fourth Dread Pirate Roberts. And they all seem to work for a period of about five years, at which point they become ridiculously wealthy and can, like, afford to go buy an island somewhere where they can live for the rest of their life in obscene wealth. So, Wesley's been gone for about, hmm, five years now. And he seems to come back to Florin about once a year. So, it seems like he goes off, he pillages for a bit, he comes back, he checks on Buttercup, Buttercup's still okay... He runs off, he gets more wealth, comes back, checks on Buttercup, Buttercup's still okay, does the same thing. It seems like this was going to be when he comes back, he goes, Buttercup, my love, I am still alive, and also, we are super rich. Where do you want to go live in obscene wealth for the rest of our lives? Except she's now engaged to Prince Humperdinck. And also... As the Dread Pirate Roberts, you have to keep the facade alive, you know, the mystique. So he can't just say, you know, kids can't meet up with her once a year because then people will try to will fig- probably figure out who the Dread Pirate Roberts is. Um, and that's probably why he couldn't tell, you know, it's you have a choice. You can either come back to her at the end of five years with all of the money in the world and give her a life of luxury and a happy ever after. Or you can tip her off that you're alive, put her in danger, and ruin the entire Dread Pirate Roberts scam, not only for yourself, but for every guy after that. And before, really. Well, maybe. Those guys seem to be fine. Once you're out of it, it seems that you're probably okay. Wesley had a plan... Humperdinck screwed Humperdinck it up. Humperdinck screwed it up. You know, Humperdinck came along and is just like, come on, he's been dead for five years. Come live in opulent wealth with me and be queen. And, you know, I'm not saying Buttercup made the wrong choice. She couldn't have known Wesley's plan. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, Wesley couldn't really tip her off without putting her and the plan in danger. So there's not really a good a good way to resolve the situation. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah. But it just it just seems convenient for the plot that Wesley happened to come along and be like, oh look, someone's uh, kidnapping Buttercup. But I do love the the way that they introduced the, the kidnappers. Yeah. We're just three lost circus performers. Is there a town nearby where we can stay the night? Oh, no, there's, there's no one for miles. Oh, okay, so no one will hear you scream. <laughs> yeah. 
Buttercup is not the brightest. But, uh, to, like I was saying, uh, it's just the three scenes of Wesley versus each kidnapper. You have, you know, the choreography of the sword fight between Wesley and Indigo, and then the the brutish fight between Wesley and, and Physic with, with the sleeper hold for the win. This duel with Indigo is the possibly the best sword fight ever committed to film. I'm not going to argue with that. No. <laughs> um, I'm I'm very into sword fights on film. This may be the best sword fight ever on film. So we get the sword fight with both of them fighting left-handed, and then the switch up. Oh, I'm not right. I'm not right. I'm not left-handed. Neither am I. And they really start going at it, and that's when the sword fight gets really good. I like the respect shown there because this is when you you really get the idea you've been getting the idea all along with the three kidnappers that Vizzini is the only one with actual ill intent that Fezzik and Inigo are they're just hired hands Inigo even says he only does these things to pay the bills they have a bit of a code they have empathy they don't want to hurt Buttercup they're not really bad guys but the good side of the law, I guess, in this world doesn't really have a place for them. So sometimes they have yeah. to take shady jobs. But Vizzini revels in it. He wants to be the bad guy. That's why he's the only one that gets the bad ending, you know? Well, we see, you know, Inigo, he, he throws the rope to, to Wesley and he said, you know, they even have a heart-to-heart -heart conversation about about where where Inigo comes from his his backstory saying you know like even say you know it's uh, treating Wesley as a as an equal before their fight you know Wesley shows the respect back you know like you seem like a good man I hate to kill you you seem like a good man I hate to die yeah I love the the wit shown here and that's on both actors yeah the way that they kind of work around each other and dance around each other even before the sword fight starts is just so excellent. I love the way this scene is written and I love the way that once they start sword fighting it matches the wordplay. I could do an entire podcast just on this sword fight. It's just the best. Um, if you haven't seen it in a while, treat yourself uh, as, as the whole movie too. But this... This fight scene, especially, may be the best scene in the movie. Yeah. And Wesley, out of respect, doesn't kill Indigo. He knocks him out. Yeah. Because um, you know, he sees that Indigo is a man of honor. Yeah. And and likewise, so is, is Fezzik. As Fezzik is told by Vizzini, uh, throw the rock at his head and kill him. And he says, well, that's not fair. Yeah, it's not very sportsmanlike. Yeah. It just... Um, which is uh, which, which is weird coming from a heel wrestler. <laughs> yeah, you know, so he throws the rock and intentionally misses, Hold and on. explains to Wesley that he intentionally missed. He wants a fair fight. Wesley suggests that it's not going to be a fair fight because Fezzik is, you know, four times his size, <laughs> and Fezzik says one of the greatest lines in the movie: "Like, is not my fault being the." biggest and the strongest like I, I'm just born that way but he also says that he's used to fighting multiple people at once he's not used to one-on-one -on -one fights yeah he he doesn't even work out no cardio on the on the big man yeah but it's that weakness 
that uh, that Fezzik has of not used to fighting one on one that ultimately is it's his downfall because Wesley's able to choke him out with that sleeper hold. Yeah, Wesley has the speed advantage. I like uh, how Wesley treats him uh, as Fezzik goes down. You know, um, I I do not envy you the headache you will have tomorrow. Rest well and dream of large women. I love that line. <laughs> but um, then we get to the Vizzini thing, and I I love the confidence in Vizzini. Where... Wallace Shawn owns this scene. Oh, Wallace Shawn is just the best. Um, where he, he says, you know, it's over because you cannot best me with brains. You know, I am the smartest man in the entire world. and I have the a... biggest brain, the best brain. You know, no one has more brains than me. Yeah, and that's what it comes across like now, doesn't it? Um, yeah. Because any time somebody says that, it's not true. You know? <laughs> yeah. Anytime somebody needs to tell you they're the smartest, they're, they're not. The, this is such an interesting scene because of the Iocane powder. Mm -hmm. um, a poison which does not exist. If, any, if anybody has ever tried to look that up, uh, it, it does not exist. It, it was invented for this. I have always wished that the joke to this scene would have been when he goes, Inhale this, but do not touch. Because there are poisons that kill... By you inhaling them. That would have been a nice ending joke. Oh, both cups of poisons. No, I didn't put the poison in any of them. He smelled it. He's already dead. <laughs> yeah, like once once he once he sniffed it, like that's that's the method of injection for the poison. Like that would have been the funnier thing to me of like he was dumb enough to to inhale it. It's a it's a respiratory <laughs> thing. A it, it would have been more believable than Wesley has been building up an immunity to poison for five years. Well, that is also believable because there are poisons you can do that with. So both of them are believable, but I think that the first one would have been funnier. Agreed. <laughs> because it would have just shown how not intelligent Vizzini is. Book smart, not street smart, as it were. Yeah, book smart, not street smart. Um, because if if somebody just goes like, inhale this, but do not touch, I'm like, I'm no, like that's not happening. No, thank you. You've just killed two of my men, as far as I know. Yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not trusting you, dude. That that is not what we're doing. We get our big reveal and our big uh, reunion. With Buttercup and Wesley. And Wesley is just chewing her out. Well, he's mad. This was supposed to be their big reunion, if my theory is correct. He's waited five years, not being able to tell her that he's still alive. He's amassed, apparently, all of the money in the world, if he's done what the previous Dread Pirate Roberts have done. And he's about to show up being like, What's up, babe? I'm a baller now. We're going to go buy us an island and live in, you know, billionaire life forever. And it's like, uh, no, I'm, 
um, Queen of Florin. I mean, you'd be mad too. After watching the movie and coming back to it, you know how much pain is in, is Wesley in? He's like, you know, did you mar- Did you get engaged the next day? Did you wait a whole week after I was dead to get a new man? It's cruel, but it's also coming back to that scene. You kind of, in a way, empathize with how Wesley is feeling. Yeah, you you kind of empathize with both of them. On the one hand, she thought he was dead. She did wait five years and and moved on. Yeah, being being a queen is not something you can walk away from easily. Like I said, if my theory is correct, this man had a plan and he was moments away from being able to do that final reveal. And it's ruined twice: first by Buttercup getting kidnapped, and second because Humperdinck Humperdinck catches up to them. Yeah, if Humperdinck had not caught up to them, he would have taken the mask of saying it's me. It's Wesley. Let's run away together. I got a ship. I got... I'm rich up the wazoo. Let's go. But then, here comes Humperdinck. And, like I said, Buttercup does the second most proactive thing in this entire movie for her character and just shoves Wesley off uh, off the hill. Yeah, I mean, well, she shoves Dread Pirate Roberts. She didn't know it was Wesley at the time. No, didn't know it was Wesley. So it's a smart, it's a smart move when she does it. In her mind, this is the man that killed her lover. Yeah. So is it? Wouldn't she want to take a tiny bit of revenge? Yeah. And then he reveals himself. His mask falls off. As you wish. Crap. <laughs> and then she does the dumbest thing she does in the entire film. Rolls down the hill, too. <laughs> and then she throws herself down the hill, too. I'm thinking, there had to be a smarter way to do this. At least gently roll yourself down the hill. I mean, if rolling down the hill is the only way to get there, at least gently do it. Mm-hmm. Instead, she just kind of also hurls herself down the hill. But we get the, 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 the reunion of the two lovers... You know, they they run away into the fire swamp. I like how how at at one point Wesley's saying, "Yeah, we we could live here." You know, we we, we know that the, the fire swamp, the 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 fire pits make a noise before they blast off. We know about the rodents. You know, we know what the the lightning sand looks like. You know, this could be home. And I just like how Buttercup looks at him when he says that. Like, really. I lived on a farm my whole life, but I am not living here. <laughs> well, you know, if you if you create a um a treehouse, I mean, it depends on how how high the uh the rats can climb. Well, yeah, we never see that, but yeah. The... Se- seriously, if the rats can't climb that high, treehouse. For practical effects of the 1980s, the are <laughs> the rodents of unusual size don't look that bad. I mean, it's it's really just a, a little person in a in a costume, crawling yeah. on all fours, you know. Yeah. Um, but you know they're 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 fine. It it holds up well enough. Buttercup is almost entirely useless during this scene. Um, Wesley gets bitten. Surprised he didn't get rabies. Um, thank you for being useless, Buttercup. Um, you are a farm girl. You should not be this useless. You are not a princess. I mean, you are, like, now, 
But yeah. you are not born a princess. You are a farm girl. How are you this useless? Come on. And and, and, and this is you saying it as, as a southern girl who kind of grew up in that kind of an area. Well, no, I mean, I literally grew up helping out on farms. So, I mean, I know what I'm talking about. I've slopped pigs and fed chickens and helped with the horses. and You know, I mean. Let's kind of skip ahead to the... The Pit of Despair. Oh, yes, in The Pit of Despair. Um, we have Mel Smith as the albino, who has never seen this movie. Because the makeup for the albino, as well as the contact lenses that he wore for to play the albino, uh, gave him a bit of claustrophobia and uh, some allergic reactions. So he's never seen the movie because he doesn't want to relive any of that. Eesh. And uh, The Machine as they call it here, which um, is actually a reused prop. This was originally supposed to be used for a James Bond movie, Never Say Never Again. Uh, I don't think it was used in the film, but they already had it, so they used it for this one. The whole, you know, we, we, we get about uh, Count Rugen and that his, his obsession is, is torture and human pain and how much pain the human body could take. Even even asking, you know, for prosperity's sake, can you tell me how you're feeling right now? <laughs> Just cold, un- uncaring. That the machine... Uh, uh, he puts the machine on one, and you can see the pain on, on Wesley's face, and I've taken one year of your life away. The way I always understood it is in that 30 seconds he's attached to the machine, he is getting one year's worth of torture. From whatever the suction cups are doing. But it also is a fantasy, so who knows. Yeah, I, I just always took it as like one year of life energy being removed or whatever, but you know. They're literally sucking the soul out of this man. Yeah. Um, so, uh, the thing is, of course, now... Buttercup realizes that, you know, we, we get the scene of the Queen of Refuse and the, you know. That's an awesome scene right there. It really is, because I love that we see how much the grandson is getting into it now. Yeah. Because he's really taken in by the fake out. Uh, and I love everything. that this, char- this character is called the Ancient Booer. Yeah. Um, that's, that's what I'm turning into as I, as I get older. It's just ancient and I boo things. Um. You're the middle-aged booer. The, <laughs> You're uh, not ancient yet. Uh, but, please. but, but, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. But, the, uh, <laughs> we're, yeah, but you're right. The grandson is really getting into the story now. He's trying to play it off that he isn't. But he's really into that. You're reading it wrong. That's not how the story goes. Well, I have the book. You tell me how the story goes. <laughs> yeah. No. Who kills Count? Hum- I mean, who kills Prince Humperdinck? You know, like, I I like I like this this whole thing because it's a very much a kid. Um. This is this is how a child reacts to stories. Yeah. You know. No. It's make it make sense. But, you know, it, it does remind Buttercup, like, oh, yeah, that is my my true love, and 
I need to, you know, as Wesley said, you know, death can't stop true love. It can only delay it for a while. You know, you should have waited for me even thinking I was dead. Um, but yeah, so Buttercup has her thing. She cannot marry Humperdinck. And she's going to write a letter. And he says, you know, write a letter. I'll send it out. We'll find Wesley's ship. He should still be in the area. And uh, if he comes for you, you two can be together. Other than that, uh, you can still live here in the castle and be the queen. Yeah, you can. If he doesn't come for you, marry me. Because she threatens to kill herself. But, of course, Humperdinck has no intention because, again, unbeknownst to Buttercup, Wesley is in the dungeon getting tortured. Yeah, and also Humperdinck is planning to kill Buttercup on the night of their wedding anyway. Plan A didn't work, so he's going to do plan B. He decides instead that he wants the thieves' forest emptied out. So he tells the captain of the guard, hey, uh, my informants have told me uh, people from Gilder are coming to invade tonight, uh, and they're coming through the, the thieves' forest. I want the thieves' forest cleared out just in case. Which, of course, is a lie. Yeah. Well, I don't have enough men. Well, form a brute squad. And uh, they get Fezzik. It's not explained very well in the film. But Fezzik is the brute squad, as uh, Billy Crystal will say later in the film. And he gets the job to be the guy that empties the thieves' forest. But he also takes this opportunity, and I wish that we had actually seen it, to learn about the people in the castle, which is how he finds out about Count Rugen. Again, I I wish they had shown this in the film. Yeah, that's always been a, a bit of a yeah, a bit of a question mark for me. Cause the 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 captain of the guard said, Hey brute, take him out and then we see that the brute is is Fezzik and he goes to, to Indigo and just knocks out the captain of the guard to protect his friend and then heals him back to health and tells him about what he learned at the castle. Yeah, and he I, hasn't talked to uh, to Wesley, who is the only one at this point that we know knows the identity of Count Rugen and how it's important to Inigo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we see that there's dialogue, but it's covered up by the grandfather's narration. So yeah. it feels like there's a, there's a scene cut here. And the the uh, interesting thing is that uh, they decide that uh, they need to they need to storm the castle, you know. But they don't have enough strength, as uh, as Fitzik says. He was at the castle, and they have thirty guards at the front gate. He could take about ten, but that's not enough. So, and then they go, well, Vizzini usually comes up with the plan, but we need someone smarter than that. Hey, the man in black, he's still alive. He outsmarted Vizzini some way. If we can find him, we know how to storm the castle. As this is happening, Buttercup pretty much figures out what's going to happen. Uh, Hubbardick says, you know, once we're married, we'll go on my fastest ship anywhere in the world. But you just sent your fastest ship to send the letter to Wesley. Uh, you never sent the letter, did you? Perfect timing for Buttercup to finally figure it out, <laughs> which really sends Humperdinck off. Locks Buttercup in her room and just kills Wesley. Sends that machine to full power. You got plus 50 
sucking on that life force at Wesley and the 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 sound of ultimate suffering. I love how they called it that. Yeah. That suffering pain so much that the entire kingdom hears it. Everyone in that kingdom is hearing him in pain. Like even Buttercup, but Buttercup seemingly doesn't recognize that it's Wesley in pain. Like yeah. we see her react to it, but she doesn't say Wesley. Well, yeah, everybody else seems confused, and only Inigo really figures it out what it is. Yeah, that's the sound of ultimate suffering. I know. I made that same noise the day my father died. But they see that Wesley's dead. Enter Billy Crystal as Miracle Max in an amazing role here. A lot of the dialogue with him and Carol Kane is improvised uh, because they came up with this really complex backstory for these characters. This husband and wife and, and their relationship together and how they ended up where they are and how they relate to each other because they wanted them to seem really lived in. And so they apparently got so good at it that uh, Rob Reiner just let them improvise a lot of their stuff together. Um, I think some of the important uh, exposition stuff probably wasn't improvised. But that interaction between Carol Kane and, and, and Billy Crystal, I'm not a witch, I'm your wife. That is relationship goals right there. I don't know about you. This this is such a fun scene. It's it's a bit of a break after a kind of harrowing scene. You know, it is kind mm. of awful to to watch Wesley screaming in that much pain and you know. Humper didn't get didn't get the job done, despite putting the machine at the maximum. And torturing him till death, there's still that little spark of life still in Wesley. Because, uh, as Wesley says, true love. He wants to live to be with Buttercup. No, no, no. He said to blave. <laughs> I love I love the, uh, the, 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 the whole backstory in that. He's like, oh, he owes you money. That's why you want him alive. Oh, he's a, he's a bluffer. You... He beat you at gambling, and you killed him, and now you want your money back. You know, the point The point is that um, he he's just upset. You know, he's lost his confidence. Whatever Humperdinck did to him in the firing has robbed him of his confidence. Um, but, you know, they talk him into it because if Wesley lives, Humperdinck suffers. Yeah, so it's it's kind of his own revenge. It's like there's no nobler cause than that. Yeah, <laughs> I love how that that that's it's hilarious that that is the noble cause that Miracle Max is going to work for. Is you know what? Humili- I'm, I'm okay with it. The humiliation of its former boss. I I like the uh, the thing where they're they're creating the pill and they talk about uh, you know the chocolate coating helping go down easier. You know. Honestly, the miracle pill looks really, really delicious. And and uh, there are several friends of ours that whenever we uh, at conventions, especially when we're saying, "Hell yeah, we're gonna go back to the room and sleep because it's like four a.m. and we got to be up at seven a.m. for a panel," and they'll always say, "Have fun storming the castle." <laughs> yeah. Um. I mean, this this is much like Monty Python and the fact that every geek can quote this movie verbatim. They take 
Wesley's body. They take the pill. They end up on the uh, walls of the castle. Um, they shove the pill down his throat, and boy, that miracle works immediately, doesn't it? <laughs> Wesley immediately comes back to life and starts screaming, I'll take you both together! I'll whip your ass! <laughs> and I, I, um, I like how fast Wesley can think of a plan to get him into the castle, and how they conveniently have all of the things that they need. Oh, we need a wheelbarrow. Oh, we need a cloak. Like, all of a sudden, Fisick just pulls a cloak out of his out of his garment. Oh, I, I had it. I saw it at Miracle Max. He said it could have it. <laughs> yeah, I love that Miracle Max had a cloak that was large enough to fit Andre the Giant. And not just any cloak, a Holocaust cloak. Yeah. Um. But uh, I I love how. Carrie always plays this like Wesley slowly regaining the use of his various body parts. How he has to swing his entire body just to get the arm on top for the for the for the agreement, and he can tap his finger and kind of move his head, but it's like he can't doesn't have full control of his body yet. It's like you wiggled your thumb, you know. It's like. The the bit where, you know, Fezzik is just kind of dragging him down the hallway. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> you, propping him up on that suit of armor and, and stuff yeah. like that. I really love those bits of physical comedy. I don't think that Carrie always ever got enough uh, props for being as good a physical comedian as, as he is. Yeah. Um, oh. but, but, you know, uh, Humperdinck realizes that people are coming. And he spit, wants to speed, because he sees, he hears the commotion going on outside the castle and wants to speed up the, the ceremony. But, speaking of nerds quoting this movie, how many times have we had friends that have gotten married and we just go, marriage! It's what brings us together today! Yeah. I've known a couple of people who have had serious conversations about actually having this as their wedding ceremony. Um, <laughs> none of them have ever gone through with it. But there have been some serious discussions. And then, you know, Humperdinck eventually does the, you know, man and wife, say man and wife, you know. Yeah, skip uh, the entire ceremony, say the thing, and then, okay, we're we're, we're married, we're... Let's get on the ship, let's get out of here, so blah, 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 blah. The kind of funniest and saddest thing is when uh, Buttercup kisses the king on the, the cheek and is like, you've always been nice to me and I'm killing myself as soon as we get back to the bedroom. And he just goes, that's nice. She gave me a kiss. I, I mean, it's just that he's so out of it, you know. So, yeah, because uh, Pumperdick speeds the ceremony up, it's a little too late. And this is where all our, 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 our plots start to come together. Inigo meets uh, the six-figured man and says that line, You killed my father, prepare to die. And you think we're going to have this really awesome sword battle like we had er earlier in the movie. And Count Rugen just, nope, runs away. Bye-bye. Um, I do think that one of the... 
kind of, uh, once again, kind of sad but funny bits is the thing where Rugen runs through the door and locks it behind him and he goes throwing himself full-bodied <laughs> against the door and screaming desperately for Fezzik. You know, he's getting away. I can't fail now. Come help me, Fezzik. And Fezzik's holding, you know, Wesley, like he puts him on the thing and then goes and knocks the door open for Inigo. But I just love how desperately Inigo is, is throwing himself against the door because, you know, that that would be awful. 20 years trying to find the man that killed your father and a locked door is what stops you? Yeah, I mean, that would be awful. And then, of course, that whole kind of final scene of Inigo's quest is really... I gotta give Inigo credit here because there's a few minutes between the locked door and when uh, Fezzik knocked it down, but Inigo is able to catch up and essentially become faster than, than Count Rugen. Because he is, when we see them next, he is right behind him. And then we get the uh, Count Rugen kind of cheating by throwing the dagger. You know, we see him take the dagger out of his boot and then he just throws it right into. And it's just that, that he's so close. Indigo is so close. He can't fail now. He can't fail now. He just summons the, the strength and says, Hello, my name is Indigo Montoya. And over and over again, as he gets up and he just starts screaming it, Hello, my name is Indigo Montoya. You killed my father. Stop saying that. And that's like, that is the only thing that's keeping him going is that that, that, that vow he made is that I'm going to say this to the man that killed my father if it's the last thing I do. And in a way, it almost is. Yeah, but that moment before he summons that strength where he he says, I'm sorry, Father, I failed you. And it just really seems like this is going to be the end of him. Mm -hmm. um, and Rugen says, wait, you've been chasing me for 20 years just to fail now? That is the most pathetic thing I've ever heard, you know? Um, and it really is, like, the lowest point. Mm -hmm. You're really like, oh, wow, that's that's how they're going to leave this story. That is mm -hmm. awful, you know? Um, so it really is, you know, it's... We talk about wrestling a lot, but it really is that moment the where... The baby face comeback, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's where the wrestler starts shaking the ropes... And the crowd starts cheering, and then they start banging on the mat. Did they get in it? Go, yeah, in it, go, yeah, in every, it go. everybody's just cheering and everything. And that is that is that moment translated to a film, yeah. Um, and it works beautifully. And by the end, you're you're really with him. You're really cheering for that moment. And when he starts stabbing him to mirror the wounds that he just got yeah. from Rugen. You know, he starts stabbing him in the arm and stabbing him in the arm. And, and slicing you know, his cheeks, just like he did. Slicing his cheeks and offer me money, offer me power, offer me everything I ask for. I want my father back, you son of a bitch. That scene. Oh. In 2021, how many people empathize with that scene 
I want my father back. I want my mother back. I want my brother back. I want my sister back. After all of the crap we all had to go through over the, the last year. The interesting thing is that um, Mandy Patinkin said that he apparently lost his, his father not long before filming the, the movie. Mandy Patinkin said he, he apparently lost his father not long before filming the movie uh, Cancer actually and he said that the reason that that scene comes across as so powerful on film is because he was imagining the cancer in that moment that when he says that line that he was actually saying it to the cancer that took his father he was imagining stabbing the tumor that took his father um and he said it was very cathartic for him. Hopefully they were using a fake sword. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Speaking um, of, um, uh, oh, I, I forgot this story until you just reminded me of it. Um, I don't know why you reminded me of it, but it did. There is a nice little, uh, there were, the the scene earlier where Wesley is looking at the at Count Rugen saying, hey, you have, you have six fingers on your hand if someone looking for you. And uh, Count Rugen knocks him on the head with the sword. Uh, apparently, uh, Carrie Elvis was not satisfied with how uh, how he was being hit with the with the butt of the sword, and uh, told Christopher Guest to hit him as hard as possible, and he did, and Carrie Elvis had a concussion that stopped filming. <laughs> well, that sounds like dumb thing to do. Don't hit your actors on the head with heavy objects. Uh, so, as all of that's going on with, with, uh, with, uh, Count Rugen and Inigo, uh, Buttercup is about to, uh, end it. She has the dagger, she's pointing it to her chest, and Wesley, with one of the smoothest lines in film, there's a short of, there's a shortage of perfect breasts in the world. Shame if anything happened to yours. Yeah, and then she's like, oh, Wesley, I knew you'd come for me, and then we get the, the... The less cool line of gently, 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 gently donk. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, he's he's trying to explain that, like, you know, I, I don't have any strength and, oh, but I'm here. Uh, and he explains that the marriage wasn't valid. She, she never said I do. It. Yeah, she didn't say I do. She didn't agree to the wedding. It doesn't matter if the guy said man and wife. I, I don't know if that's le a, a legal issue or not. I mean, in, in a modern wedding, it's just two people signing a piece of paper. You don't, the ceremony is just theatrics. I believe at the time, uh, it was probably more the priest doing it. Because you could actually have... Um, you could actually have people married in absentia, like you could have someone stand in, but I do believe the saying of the vows was very important. Um, so the fact that she never actually said her vows would be would be a, a point to claim annulment. Mm. So I I do believe that that is a. A point where they could say the the more important thing to claim annulment would be the fact that they never consummated the marriage. But by that so. point, if Humperdinck had his way, she'd already be dead. 
and at that at that point, you know, he could claim either way. You know, I consider her my wife, but she was taken from me before we could consummate our holy union is one way he could play it. Or, well, I was never technically married because those horrible people from Gilder took her for, from me before we could consummate her. You know, at that point, it's which way you want to spin the story. Which way uh, Humperdinck wanted to go. Yeah, but but at that point, Buttercup could always claim that she was never married because she never consummated the marriage, so um, it it doesn't matter. And I love this to the pain challenge he gives Humperdinck as he comes in. Oh, it's, that is slick. Oh, like, so I'm, good. I'm going to cut off all of your limbs except for your ears, so you can hear how people are scared of you and find you so ugly and ridiculous. And this is actually even better once you know that his beef with Gilder was they sent him an ugly princess. Ugly just being bald. Yeah. Like, maybe she had the most gorgeous face ever. I've seen some gorgeous bald women. Like, have you seen the Dora Milaje? Yeah. Like, come on. <laughs> that is an entire troop of really hot-looking bald women. <laughs> So the to the pain makes more sense when you know that story. Mm-hmm. That apparently being quote unquote ugly was his worst fear. Mm. So that that makes more sense in the context of the book, I guess. And yeah. Wesley is able to summon enough strength to stand up, and it's a badass moment. He points at it, drop your sword. And, uh, yeah, he tells uh, he, he tells Buttercup to tie him up, but he, he used all of his strength in getting up and raising the sword. He just collapses. But by then, you know, Humperdinck's already tied up, so he can't do anything about it. Yeah, and I love Humperdinck going, I knew it, I knew, I knew that he wasn't. And I'm like, if you knew, then why are you tied up in the chair, you doof? <laughs> Like, if you knew, then you shouldn't have dropped your sword. So, Miracle Max was right, because Wesley came back from the dead to bluff, and won. Well, yeah, okay. Really good blave there, my boy. But, uh, you know, Inigo has found him again, and uh, they're all happy and together, except where did Fezzik go? Yeah, and we see Fezzik has been in the stable and has gotten the prince's prize horses, four white horses. There's four of them, then they can make their escape on them. I like Fezzik says, you know, I thought there are there four of them, there are four of us, if we ever found the lady. Hello, lady! Hello, giant man who kidnapped me earlier in the movie. I like that she suddenly just like, uh, okay, weird man. <laughs> they do the thing, you know, the beautiful drop where her her dress cascades. Then we have the final little conversation between Wesley and Inigo, where Inigo says, "I don't, I don't know what to do with my life anymore. You know, I've I've fulfilled my grand purpose. You know, yeah. I've I, he's I've, been in the revenge business for twenty years. What does he do now?" And Wesley has the solution. Have you ever considered piracy? Uh, there's an opening for a Dread Pirate Roberts. And honestly, he would make an amazing Dread Pirate Roberts. So uh, they ride off into the sunset, presumably to uh, head back to Miracle Max to get uh, Inigo a 
a pill to heal him because uh, he's looking pretty bad. But then presumably off to the pirate ship Revenge to get all of Wesley's loot and uh, introduce Inigo as the new Dread Pirate Roberts. Wouldn't Wesley have to sail with Inigo for a bit to get people to believe that he is Roberts? Yeah, but probably only for like a few weeks to a month. He's probably going to go marry Buttercup and give her enough money and be like, go buy a house and set us up somewhere far away from Florin. Probably with Fezzik there to protect her. And then him and Inigo are going to go sail around for a month with a new crew, you know. Then Wesley will be like, aye aye, Dread Pirate Roberts, sure. And then he's just going to be like, well... Um, that's the end of my tour. Goodbye. And then, you know, Inigo will do his five-year stint as Roberts, find somebody else to take over, retire to wherever he's going to retire to in Extreme Wealth, and, you know. So one last shot with the grandson and the grandfather. As he says, uh, as the grandson says, Oh, can you come back tomorrow and read it to me again? As you wish. And that great ending for this because it really shows the, the focus on this is a, a bonding moment between two generations, you know, the grandfather and the grandson bonding over the love of this story. Yeah, I, I really do like the the ending. I think it's very sweet and very grounded. You know, the the story of the Princess Bride you know, the fantasy story is very kind of out there and, you know, optimistic and whatever. But the kind of real world story is very sweet and nice. And I like that. Yeah, you everyone know? talks about the fantasy story, the story within the story, as it were. But very few people ever talk about the bonding between the grandfather and the grandson. It really reminds me of my, my relationship between uh, me and one of my grandfathers, you know, uh, the, the way he would treat me. It, it feels very much like our relationship. Um, so I, I really like it. Uh, Cause it feels very, true to how he and I would kind of react. He, he was less, um, he was less kind of insulting, you know, some of the like, yes, you're very smart. Shut up. You know, like that, that wasn't really him. Uh, but the, the very, you know, the, the kind, you know, coming over, uh, treating me nice, uh, reading to me the kind of as you wish bits you know those those feel those feel like papa that that yeah. that feels like him so so after the film after the film was made uh william goldman kind of added an extra chapter to the book of a sequel called buttercup's baby and only one chapter of this exists and the story within the story of the book is that Goldman has had problems with the Morg uh, the Morgenstern uh, estate 
and that all he was able to do is get this one chapter out, but he's he'll get the rest of it eventually, and uh, none of the rest of the book exists. There's been talks of trying to expand Buttercup's Baby as a, as a film, but considering that this is a about 30 plus year old movie at this point I, I i don't see how a sequel can happen that would be satisfactory yeah especially since andre passed on not long after the film yeah um th- i will say that there is one other thing about this movie that you know this movie is is basically perfect but the um there's one thing about this movie that is not good, and that is the song that plays over the credits. My love is like a storybook story, but it's as real as the feelings I feel. It is one of the worst songs ever written for a motion picture. <laughs> it is awful. Um, it is one of the worst things ever. It is very generic. Let me it, tell you about this pretty girl and this guy that loved her. They were uh, in love. They were like a storybook story. Oh my goodness. It is so bad. I cannot help but mock this song every time I watch this movie. Oh, it is. It is so bad. So bad. We talk about how how you watched this movie with friends. How did that go out? <laughs> um, I well, I did watch it with a friend. In fact, this is the first time I've watched a movie in person with a friend in well over a year. Mm, um, yay. I actually had someone come over to my house for real in person and visit with me. Uh. So, uh, for the first time in well over a year, um, they were fully vaccinated. Everything is safe and and wonderful. Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, and so we, we watched the film and, uh, he had not seen it in a while. Um, I had actually watched it over the quarantine cause it's one of my, you know, feel good you know, when I'm, when I'm feeling bad movies. Um, so I had watched it a couple of times over the, over the quarantine to lift my spirits. So it hadn't been that long since I had seen it, but, um, yeah, when, when we got to the song at the end, (laughs) we kind of mercilessly mocked it. Um, but yeah, it just, this is such a, with the exception of that song and the fact that maybe Buttercup could have been a little bit more proactive at certain points in the film. Mm -hmm. You can't really fault this film for anything. It's just, it's filmed beautifully. The casting is spot on. The writing just is a perfect film. It's it, it's one of the classic movies. If 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 you have not seen this movie, it's on Disney Plus. Amazing, and that was a big deal when they announced it. They actually getting Robin Wright and Carrie Elwes. Yes, it was during a uh, quarantine, so they're in their they're in their houses on their computer. 
But to have those two together again, and even in in that way, saying, "Hey, the Princess Bride is going to be on Disney Plus," that was nice to see. Yeah. Uh, do we need to ask the question? Does I... the Princess Bride have the magic? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't originally Disney magic, but it sure is now. Absolutely, I would say yes. This, even without the Disney thing, this is still a, a magical movie. Miracles! <laughs> yeah. So, uh, do we count Buttercup as a Disney princess? I would say no. I don't think she no. meets the the original, you know, the in in the line. So, let's, let's move on. Uh, we have another Wallace Shawn movie next week. Bringing Wallace Shawn back because we're taking a look at the original Toy Story, the very first Pixar movie. Um, it's it's taken us a while to get to it, um, but a really important release for Disney launched the Pixar brand, uh, moved forward the CGI. Uh, technology for Disney. We talked last week about the restaurants down under being animated with computers. This is straight up CG. The first full length computer animated movie with just computer graphics. Yeah. So we're gonna see. We're gonna see how that that held up. Yeah. So join us for that. Uh, If again, go enjoy The Princess Bride. Yeah. And uh, come back next week for Toy Story, and we'll talk to you all then. Goodbye! Have fun storming the castle! Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And of course, new episodes every week at RewatchingTheMagic.Podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it.